Thank you, Jesse. That was my kid's favorite song when they were growing up. Good morning. You awake? I've been working hard on this sermon. One of the things, if, if everybody here was Seventh-day Adventists, I wouldn't have had any problems. But we sometimes have visitors. Anybody here who's not a Seventh-day Adventist? Let me see your hands. Okay. If I see him running out screaming, I know it's still a little too strong. But I tried to tame things down to be able to help us. Lord is good, isn't he? I'm trying to kill time till the screen gets down. Remember Y2K? Remember for a long time Y2K was the talk of the world? It was a major thing that, uh, you remember what the big problem was? Had to do with computers. If I can get this thing going, it's not going to go, so I'll use this. The big thing was is they were all worried that transferring the date from 1999 to 2000, they were afraid that there were going to be computer crashes all over the world with all computers. And we could lose all utilities, the electrical system. We could uh, lose all of our vehicles that are have computers in them. They would stall out. Planes would crash. Others couldn't come in for a landing because they couldn't communicate with the uh, control tower. All kinds of things would take place. They just didn't know what would happen or anything else, but they were anticipating the worst. Some of them and some of the uh, churches began to say, well, this is the second coming of Jesus. Do you remember that? And pretty soon they began to say, because they thought that in the world, in places, the, the, uh, especially in the cities, that everything would be a chaos without these, the stoplights going and everything else, that they may have to declare a martial law and to bring out the National Guard and the Army and everything else. Well, a lot of denominations, including, sorry to say, some of our own, picked up on that, and they began to say, yeah, they're going to come in, they're going to see this is all a government conspiracy, they're going to surround the cities, they're not going to allow anyone, especially the Christians, to come out. They're going to be armed guards, the soldiers are going to be there with their weapons, they are to shoot anyone who's to escape the cities. There will be the black helicopters. I've always wondered about that. If the planes are going to crash, the computers aren't working. How are the black helicopters going to fly around? They never answered that. But the black helicopters are going to be there. Concentration camps to take the Christians. Going to march them into these concentration camps. And it's going to be the end. Armageddon, they said. Armageddon. Remember hearing that? And I had church members, boy, they just got in on that conspiracy stuff and they just thought that was it. I had letters of warning written to me by very sincere people that says, Pastor, you got to get out of the city. 
you and your wife, your life is at stake. They're going to kill you. Got to get out in the country. Well, do you remember what happened? Clock struck midnight and nothing happened. Do you know what I noticed? All of them within the church who really fell for this conspiracy and was spreading around and everything else and all these terrible things was going to happen to Christians, they never once said, oops, I was wrong. They never said that. In fact, what they did was they said, no, it's going to be 2001. That's when the millennium is going to start, 2001. We had our dates wrong. So they started all over again. They just transferred it to a different date. 2001 came and left. Didn't happen. Not once did they ever say, whoops, I made a mistake. Do you know what? We're revisiting Y2K even now because the conspiracies go on and on and on and on. There's a problem with it. Let me share with you a problem. We as Seventh-day Adventists sometimes calls ourselves the keepers of the word. Am I right? We're supposed to go by the Bible and the Bible only. Okay? What happens is, is when these conspiracies come and they don't take place and we keep saying it's happening, it's going to take place, look out, you got to watch it. It all sounds good. It plays on the fears of people. It all sounds really good, but the thing that happens is, is when it doesn't take place, we lose our credibility. Am I right? We lose our credibility and people will no longer then listen to us. Because you guys say all kinds of things and it never happens. How can I ever trust you when you say that something will happen? So we lose our credibility. Brothers and sisters, we have to come to admit two things. We're the people of the Bible. Am I right? And we have the sure word of prophecy. And they go hand in hand. And in order to keep from losing credibility, we have to rely on these things and not what the Internet says and not what I speculate is going on or not because this is what's being taught in some very great people that we know that's in the world and that's in our church and sit there and go on that and lose our credibility. If we need credibility, we need it now. Because we've got a message to share to this world. So that means we've got to focus on things. Don't focus on the conspiracies, but focus on what we do know and have proven. What I'm going to share with you today are some things that I heard from a sermon that was given by Pastor David Westbrook. And that's he and his family. And I hope I do him credit because I'm trying to take his words and then trying to put it in mine and add other things to it. So before we begin, let's just have another word of prayer. Father, I just pray that these are not Pastor Westbrook's words or my words, but it's heaven words. We need your guidance so that we can maintain credibility within the world, within our own structure of our own church, to not live to try to preach fear, 
but to preach what is the word of God and the word of God only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you something. Have we made it to the year 2010? i got to ask that because some of you still write in 2009 on your checks. So let's kind of make a chart this morning and let's put down year 2010 up there because we finally made it to there. Is that right? So that's a good place to start. So we're going to look at things that the Bible says is true and will happen. Not speculation, not what someone else says, not what happens on the Internet, not even pictures off the Internet or anything else, but the fact that this has happened. So reality is we're in the year 2010. Now we've got to go to John 14, verses 1 to 3. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Words of Jesus, right? He's preparing a place for us. Praise God. And he promised. He says that he's going to come again. That's the second coming of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we've got to focus on the second coming of Jesus. So we're going to put that at the end of the chart because uh, somewhere along the line, Jesus is going to come. I'm not going to put a date because no man knows the day or the hour when Jesus is going to come. Only the Father. So I'm not putting a date. So we're not looking at dates or anything else. But the reality of what the Bible says, Jesus says, I'm going to come again. If he's going to come again, then I've got to believe it, right? By faith, I've got to accept his word. So somewhere along the line in the future, I don't know if it's in the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months, or the decades, or even millenniums. Although I do believe that it's going to be soon. So let's just put it in the future, the second coming of Jesus. Now let's take a look at another scripture found in Revelation 22, verses 11 and 12. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. Jesus says that he's going to come again. There it is. Another text. And it's going to be coming quickly. But before that takes place, there is a point in time where... The decisions have been made, who's going to be just and who's going to be unjust. Who's on Christ's side, who's not on Christ's side. Who's going to be the sheep and who's going to be the goats. Am I right? So the Bible talks about. So before Jesus comes, there's a decision that's going to take place. We can't put a time of when that's going to happen. But before the second coming of Jesus, because when he comes, the righteous dead are going to be raised out of the grave, then we who are alive and are righteous will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, right? Okay, the wicked is going to call for the rocks and everything to follow him. We know that. We know that from Scripture. We've got to focus on the second coming. We know at some point there's going to be a close of probation where those who are, who are righteous are going to be righteous. Those who are not are not going to be righteous. There's no changing of minds. No second chance. The Bible doesn't teach that. But we're going to put that on our chart. Okay, let's go to the next text. Revelation 13 and verse 4. So they, I put in there the world, that's the context of this, the world worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast. The world worshipped 
The dragon. Who's the dragon according to Revelation 12? Satan. We know that. We know that. We know at some point before Jesus comes, the world is going to worship the dragon. Now, you've got to put yourself in the devil's shoes. There is a minor, minuscule amount of people out of the world's population that outright admits that they worship the devil. They don't hide it. We had it in Lincoln. We had it not too far from the union office. There was a place that was there, and especially... Uh, high school and, and college kids would go over there for the purpose of worshiping the devil. They don't hide that fact. But the majority of the world says that, I'm not going to worship the devil. So he's not going to outright make everyone say, I'm going to bow down to Satan and I'm going to worship him. That doesn't make sense. They're not going to do that. So he's got to do it a different way. So in his plan... The devil gave authority to the beast. Now, I'm not going to have time to explain the beast. If you want to know what the beast is, let me know. If you've never heard, I'll, I'll sit there and, and we'll try to have a Bible study and we'll go over the beast because the Bible is very clear of who the beast is, has the identifying marks of the beast. But it's passed on to the beast, which helps us to identify with Daniel as well, too, because Daniel saw the beast and all kinds of images and everything else. But he gave his authority to the beast. And notice what the people of the world did. They worshipped the beast. They believed they are worshipping God, but they're worshipping the beast. And when they're worshipping the beast, guess who else they're worshipping? They're worshipping Satan because Satan gave the authority to the beast. The beast and Satan, even though they don't know it, they're on the same side. Does that make sense? We know that. We understand it. That's biblical. All right. So it has something to do with worship. Who are we going to worship? Look at Revelation 13, verses 7 and 8. And it was granted to him, talking about the beast, to make war with the saints. Who's the saints? God's people. Okay. This supposedly godly group made war with the saints, with God's people, and overcome them. And authority, who gave them the authority? Satan. The authority was given him over the, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth, what will they do? Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping the beast, and in reality they're worshiping Satan. Okay? The whole world. Worshiping Satan, whose names have not been written in the book of the of life of the Lamb slain for the foundation of the world. This is all scriptural. This is all taking place. Some point in time, the world is going to be worshiping, they're thinking they're worshiping God, and they're going to be in reality worshiping Satan. Let's go on. Revelation 14, verse 7. At the same time when the people, the world is worshiping the beast, there's another group of people that will be worshiping. Revelation 14:7 Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. To understand who they are worshiping, we have to go back to creation. Genesis. Well, it's, I went the wrong way. Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work. See, Richard, I got my water. 
which he had done, and then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So at the end of creation, created everything in six days, and the seventh day God rested, and what did he do to that day? He sanctified it, set it apart. He blessed it. It's the only day in the Bible that he set apart and blessed. No other day of the week did he ever do that. So another group is going out and they're preaching to the world. The world seems to be worshiping the beast who's worshiping Satan, but there's another message going out that says don't worship the beast, but worship the Creator, the one who made the heavens and the earth. And the only day that he has is that day that he set aside, the seventh day. See, the devil doesn't want me to preach this morning. Bless you. The devil doesn't want you to hear either. So, something has to do with worship. Either the world is going to worship the beast and Satan, or the world is going to worship God. There's a message going out from both camps saying to do that. God's day. Either worship on God's day. What's God's day? How do I know the Sabbath when it is? It's just said the seventh day. The Lord blessed only the one day. Let me ask you another question. When it comes around each year when we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, what day did Jesus die on the cross? Friday. We call it Good Friday. Is that right? The ladies came and they, they, they took the body down. They buried the ladies came. They were going to anoint the body of Jesus. But there was something that was coming on. What was that? The Sabbath, okay? Then the first day of the week, the Bible in Luke is very clear, the day that Jesus was resurrected on was the first day of the week, and we call that day Sunday, okay? So between Friday and Sunday is Sabbath, which is what day we call it in the secular world. Saturday. We're about the only country in the world that calls that day, <clears throat> here we go again, calls that day Saturday. My Spanish brothers and sisters sitting up in the balcony. Buenos dias. What day do you call Saturday in your language? Ah, which means Sabbath. Thank you. So God's day is a Sabbath, Saturday. Now, the devil is very sly. He wants the world to worship him but he doesn't want the world to worship him on God's day. So he says, I've got to create a new day. So what day is Satan's day that the rest of the Christian world worships on? On what? Did the first day, which is Sunday, we concluded that. Did God bless and sanctify Sunday? It's not in the Bible. It's not there. So it's going to have something to do with worship. It's going to have something to do with those that are going to be worshiping the beast, which is going to be on Sunday. But the same message is going to go out to worship God, the Creator, which is the Sabbath. All right? 
That's biblical, am I correct? So at some point in time, if the whole world is going to worship the beast, there are some people who don't even believe in God. How are they going to worship the beast? There's going to have to be laws that will be passed. If you are forced by law to do this, if you don't want to end up in prison or whatever they're going to do, we're not going to speculate, but it's going to have something to do with the law. So let's put on the chart, just for the sake of putting something, National Sunday Law, because it's going to have to be a universal Sunday type thing if the whole world is going to do it. Am I right? I just want you to follow me. Now I want you to see something. Great Controversy, page 582. The last great conflict between truth and error. You can put in between Christ and Satan. The last great conflict. So we're looking at the end of time. Is but the final struggle of the long-standing controversy concerning what? Where is... The Sabbath located in. It's in the Ten Commandments, the law of God. So the last great conflict that this world is going to go through has something to do concerning the law of God. Upon this battle, we are entering. This was written in 1888. So they're just entering into that last conflict between Christ and Satan. The chapter of the book is called The Impending Conflict in the Great Controversy. So just for the sake of a name, the time period between now, since it already started back in 1888, they were just entering it. So from now until the National Sunday Law, we're in the middle of the impending conflict. You follow me? I haven't lost you? Other than my voice. So here's the question. What's going to happen during this impending conflict? Don't go to the internet. Don't listen to what other people have to say. Remember, we are people of the Bible and people of prophecy. So let's take a look. Let's go to the Bible. Revelation 18, verse 10. Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Okay? Just about everybody in the world knows or have heard of Babylon. They don't even have to be a Christian. But God uses these things in the Bible to help us to understand. Most of the time in the Bible, before the 18th chapter of Revelation, it's only called Babylon. Very seldom is it ever called the city Babylon. There's a reason for that. We're going to see it in just a minute. So that great city is Babylon, 
Four times in Revelation 18, it's called that great city. Manuscript release, volume 21, page 91. Listen to this. Let all who would understand the meaning of these things, the reference is the end of time, what's going to happen. Read the 11th chapter of Revelation. Read every verse and learn the things that are yet to take place in the cities, plural. Read also the scenes portrayed in the 18th chapter of the same book. What is it saying? Something's going to happen in the cities. Where is the major population of the world's located now? In the cities. Very few. Used to be most countries, their population was in the rural areas, mainly in the cities now. If something happens in the cities, does it affect the whole city? I was born and raised in a little community, a little town called Larned, Kansas. Most people don't know where Larned, Kansas is. Little tiny place. We had a three-car pile up there one day in the main street. There's two main streets in that town, Main Street and Broadway. This is on Main Street. Three-car pile up. The cars that were coming just went around the block. Didn't bother them in the least bit. If there's a three-car pileup out here on Interstate 10, just three, guess what happens? It'll stop the traffic. We were coming back the other day from down at Costco and was wondering where in the world is all this traffic coming from, and there was just one car that had a wreck. So it causes a city to come to a, <clears throat> to a standstill. The devil doesn't want me to say it. It affects the entire city, right? Okay, she said to study the 11th chapter and the 18th. Well, that first part has to do, for historians, has to do with the French Revolution. There was one city that's mentioned in the 11th chapter more than anything else. It was the city of Sodom. We know what happened to Sodom. It was destroyed. She says not only to look at that, but then to look at the 18th chapter in the main city that's mentioned there is Babylon. But what she's saying is if you study these two chapters, as you begin to look at these things, you are going to notice that a lot of the same things that happened then, maybe not exactly, but a lot of things that happened then will happen, but not just one city, in all the cities where the major population is. The devil's going to focus on cities, plural. So what's going to happen in the cities? By the way, back in biblical times, a city, Banning and Beaumont, would be considered a city. Whoa. We think of cities like Los Angeles and New York City, and we say, boy, I'm glad I'm not living there. I'm glad I'm living in Banning and Beaumont. 
Well, let's see what happens in the cities. Remember, the focus is going to be on God's law, right? So it's going to do something that's going to try in the cities. It's going to try to mess up God's law. Exodus 15, verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his what? That's his law. And keep all his statutes, that's all the other teachings other than just the Ten Commandments itself. Notice what God says. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Keep this in mind, because God doesn't want us to have these diseases. Great controversy, page 589. He, Satan, what will he bring? Diseases and disasters. Until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Who's doing this? Is God doing it? Satan? I thought he couldn't do that. Is it possible for Satan to inflict diseases on people? Is it biblical? Go to Job, chapter 2, verse 7. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with painful boils from the sole of the foot to the crown of his head. Ouch. And since that time in Job, he's had plenty of time to see and witness and learn about diseases. And he can inflict diseases, and especially on the cities of the world. I can tell you what. If swine flu was to hit my little town in Larned, Kansas, it would never get on CNN. But when it hits Los Angeles, that's going to be big news. So the word's going to spread. So somehow, some way, Satan is capable of spreading diseases, and he's going to do it, and the focus of attention is going to be on cities. What about disasters? There's two types of disasters. There's the natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, floods, wind. We don't have wind around here, do we, in Beaumont? That's why they call it Blomont. Those are natural disasters. We call it natural. You know, the insurance companies, you know what they call it? Acts of God. Yeah, right. Then there are man-made disasters. Crime, wars, agitation in the world, all kinds of things, man-made. Is it possible for Satan to do these things? The, the, the natu- I mean, not the natural disasters, but the man-made disasters. A lot of the turmoil, Jesus says in the last days, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus is not bringing those on. Those things are happening right now as we speak. 
Take a look at Job. Let's look at natural disasters for a moment. Job 1, verses 18 and 19. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their old in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, and they are dead. When the Bible talks about winds striking the four corners of the house, it's not a straight wind. So it must be going around and around and around. Tornado or hurricane. Do you think it was God who purposely sent a tornado to kill Job's children? So why diseases and disasters, and why are they coming to the cities? Again, it has to do with the law, and it has to do with worship. Review and Herald, September the 17th, 1901. Storm and tempest, war and bloodsheds. Natural disasters, diseases, and the bloodshed. In these things, he, Satan, delights. And thus, when he's doing this, he gathers in his harvest. At the second coming of Jesus, one of the illustrations that he has is he sends out the, the angel with a sickle in order to, the grain is ripe, and to cut the grain, because the grain is ripe, and to bring in the harvest. The harvest is bringing in God's people. Before that, Satan's going to bring in his harvest. And his focus of attention is on the cities. And so, completely will men be deceived by him that they will declare that these calamities are the result of the desecration of the first day of the week. Do you hear what they're saying? All of a sudden, these tornadoes, these floods, these blizzards, these earthquakes. Did you feel the one last night? Four o'clock this morning? This is the second one. I had one just the other day. All of these, they're going to say, is it's because God is punishing us because there are people in this world who are not keeping the first day of the week. Remember, it has to do with worship and the law and whether we're worshiping God or whether we're worshiping Satan. I'm not making this up. From the pulpits, continued on. From the pulpits of the popular churches, the crystal cathedrals and the mega churches and everything else, will be heard the statement that the world is being punished because Sunday is not honored as it should be and it will require no great stretch of imagination for men to believe this. They are guided by the enemy, Satan, and therefore they reach conclusions which are entirely false. That's true, but they're, they're, they look at all the disasters and they say, you know, it looks true to me. But it's coming from the pulpits. Not only there, look at this, Christian Service, page 155. Men in responsible positions. 
That's leaders. Powerful businessmen. Union leaders. Men in responsible positions will not only ignore and despise the Sabbath themselves, but from the sacred desk will urge people the observance of the first day of the week, pleading tradition and custom in behalf of this man-made institution. They will point to the calamities on land and sea, to the storms of wind, the floods, the earthquakes, the destruction by fire as judgments indicating God's displeasure because Sunday is not sacredly observed. Powerful men. Men from the pulpit. Big churches in the cities. Powerful men has great influence in the cities. Are going to urge people to say all these things are happening because we're not observing Sunday. Is it happening? Remember 9-11? Shortly after 9-11, Jerry Falwell went up and he publicly stated that 9-11 took place because God was punishing the people of New York because of their sins. Do you remember that? And he no more and said that and all of his preacher buddies jumped all over him and says, you can't say that. And he had to go back and he had to retract what he said. And apologize to the citizens of New York. Okay, that was in 2001. Look how it gradually changes. Jeremiah Wright, do you remember him? And he talks about how God is angry at the government and all the things that the government is doing. And, and uh, God's punishment is on the people of the United States. And that got on the news and... And uh, it wasn't the religious world so much that wanted him to retract all those things, but it was the government that says, you know, you're going to hurt Obama if you go and say things like that. He might not win the election. And so he had to kind of retract it, but it wasn't because of the religious world, it was because of the government. Pat Robertson, just the other day, when the earthquake hit Haiti, he said that it was because they had sold themselves to the devil. The government and the people had sold themselves to the devil. It was on the news for just a little bit. But let me share with you something. As of today, none of the religious world is asking him to retract. The government hasn't asked him to retract a statement. But just shortly after that, Rush Limbaugh had mentioned something, and they're all over him. But do you see the change that's taking place? At first, it was the religious world with Jerry Falwell that says, Retract your statement, you can't say that. Then next, it was the government that said it, not the religious world, when it came to Jeremiah Wright. It says, you've got to retract that, you're going to hurt Obama. And now it comes... That when a religious man says it's a punishment of God, this earthquake that's taking place, they're not chastising him. There really isn't anyone chastising him. They're going to a secular person and chastising him. It's beginning to change, but they're still saying this is a punishment from God. We just learned that all these disasters and all these things in the last final conflict is coming from whom? From the devil. But do you see the change that's taking place? That's what's happening, this impending conflict. And eventually it's going to come 
where all of them, secular and religious world, the big leaders are going to come and they're going to say to the cities, it's because you're not observing Sunday and we've got to do something about it. Well, let's go on. Have I scared you yet? Last day events, page 129. Satan put his puts interpretation upon events, and they think, as he would have them, that the calamities which, which fill the land are a result of Sunday breaking. Thinking to appease God, the wrath of God, these influential men make laws enforcing Sunday observance. The influence from the pulpit, the influence from the major workforce is going to get into the government, and the government, not only here but all over the world, is going to begin to pass laws. Do you see the progression? Do you see where we're at? Okay, so we've got to fill in the impending conflict. Disasters are increasing. We're seeing it today. Wars are increasing. We're seeing it today. That's all the devil's plans. It's, it's agitating the city leaders and the religious leaders. They're beginning to speak out. And eventually it's going to gradually increase until they blame Sabbath keepers for... Actually, they're blaming God, but because they can't lash out and sue God, they're going to try to do things to the Sabbath keepers. And it's going to be your fault, which is going to end up then to a national Sunday law to take place. The progression. Folks, we know this. We don't have to go into, you know, armies lined up outside the city getting ready to blow your head off. That's not going to bring people to Christ. That's just going to, if they change, it's going to be out of fear, not out of the love of Christ. So these things are going to take place. I gotta go on. Revelation 18.1. These things are happening. After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. In Revelation it's talking about an angel, it's talking about a message. At the same time that all this is increasing, God's gonna begin to spend a message as well too. Satan's sending a message, all these calamities are coming from God, and they're punishing everybody. God's going to send a, a message and it's going to come down and it's going to be coming with great glory. We call it the loud cry. Okay, look what it says. Great controversy, page 606. It has been confidently declared that this land could never become other than what it has been. The defender of, whoops, the defender of religious freedom. The United States has always been declared from the day that it was it came into existence as a defender of religious freedom. But as the question of enforcing Sunday observance is widely agitated, the event so long doubted and disbelieved is seen to be approaching, and the third message will produce an effect which it could not have had before. As this is agitating all the people and they're beginning to say, you know, this is punishment of God, punishment of God. At the same time, this message is going to come from heaven, is going to come down, 
And it's going to be more powerful than it ever has been before. Why? Because people are going to say, what? what is this? Why do we have to worship? What's going on here? Why are the calamities here? Why is this group saying this and this group saying this? And when the message is going to come out, it's going to come out in full force by the power of God, and people are going to see it and they're going to be changed. A lot of them are going to be changed. So let's put on there the third message, swells to a loud cry. We've been preaching the third angel's message for a long time, but it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. As Satan's uh, group is getting larger and larger and more vocal, we're going to become more uh, vocal as well, too. That's on early writings, page 86. Or do you want to quit now? At that time, the latter rain or refreshing from the presence of the Lord, will come to give power to the loud voice of the third angel and prepare the saints to stand the period when the seven last plagues shall be poured out. The power of God is going to be poured out. Remember Jesus says that you're going to be able to do greater miracles than he ever did? That's going to come from God. We're going to see things that are going to be happening within us that we've never seen before. Don't look at the conspiracies. Look at what God's going to do. At the same time that Satan is unleashing and trying to gather in his harvest, God's going to unleash and try to gather in his harvest. And we're going to be a part of it. And we need to look forward to that. We need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of men. Not some theory or anything else. We shouldn't preach fear. We need to preach the gospel. We call this the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, so we're going to put that down. The latter rain, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is going to begin to increase and get bigger and bigger and bigger, and great things are going to happen. But there's one way, Mark, that must be added during this particular time as well, too. And we've got to look at it, and we've got to face it. And it comes from Testimonies, Volume 6, page 332. And it says, we are in the shaking time. Do you notice the date? 1900. She said, in 1900, we're in the shaking time. Now, for those of you that are visitors and don't know what we're talking about, there's a period of time where there will be God's people who will be shaken out of the church because they did not have great faith in Jesus Christ. They, Many of them will have been brought in and have been living a Christian life out of fear, not out of love and trust of Jesus. Many of them will be shaken out of the church because they don't want to change and they don't want to follow God's ways They want to do it their ways. Take a look at last day events, page 173 and 174. This time, talking about the shaking time, is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. Now, she's talking about people within the church, not outside the church, within the church. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. We'll feel the pressure. Those have step by step. Now, we're talking step by step. It's gradual. It's not instantaneously. It's a gradual change. Have yielded to worldly demands and conformed to worldly customs. I want to look and act and be just like the rest of the world. It's a slow process. They will 
not find it hard, a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to derision, derision, insult, threatened imprisonment and death. The contest is between the commandments of God and the commandments of men. It's saying that when the pressure is on, I'm going to drop out. I know I was raised to what the Bible has to say, but I like the world, and they can't all be wrong, so I'm going to go with the mass numbers. They still worship God. It doesn't make any difference when you worship on what day you worship on. I hear that all the time. You, you don't have to keep the commandments of God. We've got a lot of young people that are dropping out of the church and saying, I don't have to keep the commandments of God. All I have to have is just the love of Jesus. If you don't keep the commandments of God, how do you know when it comes up to on which day to worship, what day it is? And peer pressure will cause them to be shaken, shaken out of the church. So I've got to put down on the chart the shaking. And it will increase. I want you to notice a pattern that takes place during this impending conflict. The pattern is the increase in disaster and disease. It's getting more and more and more in shorter time periods in between it. We're seeing that now. It's going to increase when the pulpits are going to get agitated and these powerful men are going to sit there and they're going to say, you know, these calamities are coming for some reason or other. And it's a punishment of God. They're already saying that. And it's going to increase until it eventually begins to say, it's because of Sunday. They haven't reached to that point yet, so that's still in the future. But we know that. We understand that. But it's increasing. The, the message that God wants us to share at the same time, the third angel's message, we're going to, we've been preaching it, we're going to keep preaching it, but it's going to increase in power and strength and ability. At the same time, the latter rain, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to increase into us until we're going to begin to do miracles like we've never been able to do before in this world. But also what else is going to increase is there are going to be a lot of our people that are going to be shaken out. And we know from the spirit of prophecy it says that many of those who are shaken out of the church will be replaced by people from the outside. We can say amen and I'm grateful for that. But the ones that are shaken out, I hope and pray, is not our kids. But you see... It can be our kids, if we start with all the conspiracy things that doesn't take place, they're going to lose their respect for the church and for the teachings and their credibility that is there. And they say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to do what I want to do. Do you see what the devil's doing in our own churches? So that's going on right now from 2010. It's already happening. I just put it because we made it there. We're right in the middle. This is the last conflict that's going to take place before Jesus comes. But what about between the national Sunday law and the final close of probation? What's going to take place then? We'll find out next week. In the meantime, let's take our hymnals and let's turn to hymn number 604. We know not the hour. I don't think my voice...